Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. I am so glad you're here, especially this week. My guests today, Arjuna O'Neill, is back for episode two. If you recall last week, he did an episode called Mindful Quarantine. And the basis of that was around how to use mindfulness to help each of us get through quarantine a little more peacefully, with a little bit more compassion, and just a little bit easier. Well, Arjuna is back this week sharing his profound personal story. And I will tell you that I am so privileged to be sharing this with you. And I have been looking forward to this episode for a long time. Arjuna is a man who has been affected by great trauma on many levels in his life. He wants to share with everyone that in spite of the unimaginable traumatic experiences and things that happen to all of us, that we all have the power of choice. He was able to overcome so many of the traumas in his life because he made a choice to continue on And he also made a choice to share his story. He wants to give people the inspiration, the strength to know, first of all, that you're not alone. And that if you go through similar experiences, that he really wants to show people that we all have the opportunity to address it, to get support around it, and to inevitably make a choice to use our stories and our traumas as a way to enhance or better our lives instead of becoming a victim of our circumstances. And I will tell you, Arjuna's story is powerful. When I started this podcast, I set the tone in episode one that I would be having real, honest, depthful conversations on a variety of topics. One of Arjuna's superpowers is that he shares his truth and his story with honesty. And to that note, I just want to make a disclaimer here. This podcast episode does share a personal story that includes abuse. So I would use discretion as the content of this episode is probably not appropriate for small children or adolescents. So if you do want to share it with maybe your adolescent please listen to the episode first prior to sharing it. And I do invite you on this episode to listen. And as you're listening to Arjuna's story, I really invite you to think about where can you share more compassion with either yourself or others in your life? And secondly, where have you had or are you currently struggling with trauma, disappointment, sadness, And how can you reframe that into something beautiful, just like Arjuna has? So now that you're in that mindset, I invite you to listen to Arjuna O'Neill's personal story. Welcome to the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Barron. I'm obsessed with helping people feel more connected to themselves, the people they love, their work, and their purpose. I'm a leadership coach, speaker, self-improvement junkie, wife, mom of two teenagers, and 30-year corporate career woman turned entrepreneur. This podcast will give you the tools, insights, and real honest conversations that will help you lead your life 
so you can love your life. Let's dive in. All right, everyone, we are back this week with Arjuna O'Neill. And if you didn't catch last week's episode, I highly recommend you go back and listen to it because he is helping all of us get through quarantine much easier in a much peaceful way with the people that we love and um, for ourselves as well. So we're back with Arjuna. And the reason why we're back today is he is going to share with us his personal story. And Arjuna, I'm so glad you're here with us today. And I'm so glad to have you back. It's really an honor and a privilege. So thank you for being here. Thank you, Natalie, um, for having me and having me come back again. And thank all those who are listening, who are tuning in, if you have in the previous and coming back for a second dose. Uh, thank you. And I'm grateful. Yeah, well, I'm grateful you're here today because what people are going to walk away with is not only just hearing this powerful story of yours, but what people are going to walk away with is, I think, a really amazing change, hopefully, to their mindset because your story is truly a gift. And I'm so glad you're sharing it with so many people. And I'm so glad you're sharing it with my listeners. And quite honestly, I'm so glad you've shared it with me. I've gotten to know you personally very depthfully over the last year. And so why don't you share with people, first of all, for people that didn't listen in to the last episode, um, how you and I met? Yeah, I think, it, well, first of all, I'd just like to say I, I believe that there are no coincidences. I agree. And uh, for me, everything is a divine appointment. And I had the opportunity, I run a nonprofit um, where I work with mindfulness, emotional intelligence, social intelligence, critical thinking skills, resiliency skills, and social responsibility, which this could be considered a social responsibility piece where we're using our gifts and our knowledge and information to give back to, to other people. So through that nonprofit work, I had the opportunity to um, do an accelerated program to raise funds. And one of the perks that came with it was to work with a coach. And I guess when you heard a little bit about my story and my background, uh, it touched your heart, mm-hmm. which touched my heart. And from there, we just continued to work together. And I felt your sincerity and your heart shine through in your offering. And uh, here we are today. Here we are. Yeah, I have to tell you, um, you know, so many people tell me as a coach, oh, it must be great to help people. But I have to tell you, when I have people like you come into my life, you help me way more than I feel like I help you. And it really is this beautiful synergy. And I really have felt honored to be your coach over the last year. And I was just looking through the emails of when we got connected. It literally has been almost exactly a year to the date. So it was May 3rd that we started of last year. And you're exactly right. You're as part of your social venture partnership, you gave basically a TED talk. And I was so moved by your TED talk. And I was so excited to get to coach you. And I think the agreement was 
you know, I think you got three to five sessions and here we are a year later and we're still coaching and we're still, you know, we've become good friends. You've met my family and it really has just become this beautiful, you know, partnership and this relationship that we have together. And like I said, you, you equally help me and you help me stay grounded, your expertise, your mindfulness, your, just your way of being is really powerful. So I'm very glad you're in my life and I feel really lucky to have you in my life. So we're here to really hear your story. And so I would love for you to share with people, you know, a little bit about your background and what you were essentially talking about at your TED Talk. Yeah. Well, first of all, you know, (laughs) your reflection. So we get to reflect off of each other. I, I feel equally as such in your presence and the way you have held the space in coaching me as I continue to grow and learn and expand the TED Talk. Well, I had to create three-minute pitch mm-hmm. about my life. And I've had a lot of experiences. I'm growing up in a city, east side of Detroit, a lot of violence a lot of crime, just a lot of disparity, a lot of lack of hope, a lot of darkness. And in that in that journey, you know, um, I was also raised as a Hare Krishna, which is a Hindu-based practice, spiritual practice. And having a Hindu-based or a foreign practice that isn't commonly even just seen in America, let alone a predominantly African-American community, a lot of challenges, a lot of confusion, hence the name Arjuna, if anyone is familiar, um, comes from the the Hindu tradition, uh, what considers their spiritual textbook, Arjuna was God's best friend. And he had a role, he had a role to play. He was a spiritual warrior. And his duty was to look at his life, his family, and all the unjust and the chaos that they were bringing on to civilization at that time. And God pretty much broke it down and said, hey, uh, this is your calling. So, And how I'm making this relevant is we all have a calling. You know, Some of us may not know what that calling is, or some of us do. And Arjuna was supposed to, well, his calling was to correct his family that was doing wrong, mm-hmm. but not from a perspective of just telling them. The whole context of this book is there is a war going on between good versus evil, whatever your beliefs are around that, no judgment. And um, as I became of age as a young boy, I was always, you know, I'm reminded of this story. And I was always told that this would be my life. And like I said, at that time, it didn't even make sense. With It didn't even match. There was no correlation between what I saw growing up. My father at the time was part of one of the biggest drug cartels in his era um, and how he was raised. And so he just passed that legacy on to me in the midst of also being raised to be this super spiritual being. Mm -hmm. You can only imagine there was a lot of conflict as a young boy, as a kid. Right. I mean, there must have been a lot of confusion for you. Oh, a lot of confusion. On top of the confusion and, and trying to find my way, uh, as, as a young boy, I was uh, sexually abused. I was molested at the age of uh, five. 
which is I share in that TED talk. And I tried to tell my mother what was going on. Oh, I told the user, which was the babysitter, that I was going to share what was going on with her mom. And so they decided to be proactive and silence me and poison me, which left me for dead. And I was one of those promiscuous kids. I was always into things. I was always doing things, active, you know, whatever they want to call it, ADD. I think you were just, you were high spirited. Yeah. Well, yes, of course. Right. Um, the, the terms that we use now, just to give people the context of, they can just imagine as a little boy, always into things. And from there, um, life progressed. Those experiences, that trauma, that pain was never addressed. And so the layers just kept going and then watching, you know, my father the way he treated my mother, things that were happening around me, his social dynamics in the circles. And it just, you know, I really reflect on it. I was just, you know, devastated as a kid. But I, I also had this deeper knowing underneath it all that just kept telling me that if you can just get through, like, just hang in there, right? Just hang in there. Never understood what it meant, though. And time goes on. Um, going to school, trying to go to school, make mom proud. My mom left my dad when she was one. So he was out of out of the home, but he was still in the picture and hang out with him on weekends. So I was seeing that lifestyle. My mom was a very super spiritual being, very devoted to the practice of the faith that she was introduced to actually by my dad. So then there, that was a, a spin on it. Like one minute, you know, on Sundays, we're praying and following these practices. And then Monday through Saturday, you know, we're out here in the streets wreaking havoc on our own society. So no judgment to him, you know, but it, it was a very interesting lifestyle because it wasn't just so much for me. It wasn't so much about being in it, like I was living it, but I was also able to observe it as it was happening. So some of us, you know, as we live, right, we're in it. So there's 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 a perspective of being in your life, living your life, you're in it, right? Um, things are happening to you. And you're having these experiences. But then there is, for me, it was, I'm having these experiences, but I'm also able to observe these experiences. So it's almost, I felt like I was having out-of-body experience. I was able to see the circumstances and also be in them. And that added a whole nother texture to my experience. And I always had questions. I was just questioning I used to ask my mom, why this, why that, why this? And she could never really explain it. And so mo moving forward, um, as the trauma and the pain continued to layer and never be addressed, it started to come out in my behaviors as far as the way I would show up at school. Thank God I was, I just was blessed to be a very intelligent young boy. I'm honor roll student. So I had the opportunity to go to the school of the gifted and and a lot of accelerated programs. And my mom, like, when she realized who my father was, she didn't see that side of him at first. Mm. Um, I'm sure anyone listening has been in a relationship with someone where they met that particular person, but then there was another version of that person after the fact. Sure. And so that was, that was interesting when my mom shared that with me because, you know, what I experienced from my mom was to be a very intuitive and intelligent person. 
And I was confused because I was like, well, how, how did you not see that? You know, I would ask those questions. And um, moving forward, the behavior started to show up. You know, uh, it was an angry kid in school, easily triggered, ready to fight, uh, out, lashing out. And it put me in a position to where uh, one day a gentleman punched me at school. He was teasing me about something that I, I, I brought to school that was based on the spiritual upbringing. And he punched me. Now, mind you, you may not know as the listener the background of this spiritual text that I was telling you about that I, I'm named after, but it was war. It was a, the whole book is about war, and it, it relates to the times that we're in the chaos, the controversy, but from a mindset perspective, right? It's related to how the mind and how challenges can conquer the mind and different choices can change the way we see the world, change our relationships with people, change the way we see God. I believe in God. I use that term. Mm -hmm. And from that, that's the way I approached the young boy who hit me. I didn't see it as, oh, here's a kid that just punched you. You can just punch him back. I was raised, you know, in this practice every day, all day. So I responded based on the teachings of what is called the Bhagavad Gita. And my name, Arjuna, he was a, he was an archer. So he, he was bow and arrow. I didn't have a bow and arrow at the time. <laughs> right. Uh, in the story, a lot, a lot of the wars, there, there were beheadings and there was knives and swords. So I remember coming to school. I went home after he punched me. At the time, we were living with my aunt, my mom's sister. How old were you about this time, Arjuna? Let's see. I, I, if I can recall it, I was around eight. Okay. It was elementary school. Okay. Uh, it was eight. And my mom's sister's boyfriend had a machete, or a mini machete. And I, I, I brought it to school. And we were in the middle of taking a test. And I was like, this is the perfect time. Uh, he had his head down. So in my mind, in my heart, I saw no wrong in this. Again, the practice was never really explained to me in a way that it made sense. Right. And so I, I thought I was following, you know, my spiritual path. Sure. And so I, I pulled up the machete and stood over the young boy. And somehow the teacher just happened to look up and she screamed so loud that he wet his pants. I froze. Thank God nothing happened from there. But what happened was, of course, you can't have that happening in the school. There's, there's no excuses. Right. So I wasn't allowed to go to any public schools in Detroit until we moved. But I had to, the only way I could even attend school, I had to attend all special ed classes. And I had to have therapy and, and counseling. And so as a young boy, I was so upset. I was so hurt. I didn't understand. I was like, what did I do wrong? I was trying to explain to you know, to the, the police that came at that time. I was trying to explain to the counselors. I was trying to explain to my mom, like, like I thought I was, you know, like this is what it, this is what you guys are teaching me. Right. This is what I this is what I've been shown. Right. So that carried out. Um, life moves moves forward. There were highlights. So there were moments where you know things were good. You know, I did live a normal kid life in one sense that I got to play outside. I went to school. I had fun. But then there was still underneath it all the hurt, the trauma, and the layers. And we moved to Atlanta for a few years away from my family. Then we 
finally came back to Detroit and started going to public school again. And at 16, I had a meltdown, if you want to call it. And um, I had to speak to my counselor, therapist. And at this time, me and my dad's relationship was very rocky. It was, it was, it was a lot of emotional abuse, you know. Um, and I, I remember sharing with therapists how it made me feel. And the therapist was asking me all these questions, you know. And some of the questions that she asked, they triggered me, you know, and it opened some wounds that had never been addressed. In my mind, I'm speaking truthfully, you know, and sharing my truth. And I told her how I felt. You know, I said, hey, you know, I don't like my dad. I remember telling her I wanted to, I wanted to hurt my dad. I wanted to kill my dad. And so as a therapist, she did what she was supposed to do. Well, what happened was from there, she had to report the situation to and then that turned into a situation that led into the police being involved and with the crime being so high in Detroit. And I was, I told her that I had a weapon. I remember her asking me, how would you do it? And I said, well, I'm going to use the same gun that my dad gave me as a young boy. And from that, everything just from there, that moment, from that moment of my life, everything just exploded into just a trailblaze of just event after event after event that felt like just one catastrophic blow after another. Um, sharing that, the police got involved. They told my mom she had to turn me in because I was considered armed and dangerous. And they said if she doesn't turn me in within 24 hours, if they find me, most likely because I was armed and dangerous, they didn't know. And because it was through a mental health perspective that they would probably end up killing me. So I don't know any mothers, any parents out there. Can you imagine getting a phone call from the local police department telling you that, hey, your son, if we find him first, highly unlikely, he, he, you know, you'll see him again. So she did everything in her power to try to find me. I was upset when I heard about what happened. Mm-hmm. I felt betrayed. I felt used. I felt lied to because I thought the therapist was somebody I could confide in. You know. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was like the therapist is asking me all these questions. So I'm only sharing because I'm thinking this is the safe place to do it. Right. Looking back, it, it's all beautiful. It's all perfect. You know, no mistakes. Again, I don't believe in any coincidence. But at the time, it didn't feel that way. Of course. And so from that, my mom was able to get me to come home and surrender myself. And so I was admitted to a mental hospital, a mental facility at 16. And my mom was like the last person that I would ever think, you know, she was like my only best friend. She was like the only person I felt understood me. And I didn't understand at the time why, you know, she did what she did. So I felt now it's me against the world. You know, she was trying to explain it from a mother's perspective. But when you're hurt, your kid, you got enough going on. It doesn't make sense. And so I went inside this facility with a whole nother layer to myself on top and being inside a mental institution things that you're exposed to that what i saw um it was like a horror movie it, you know when you, you watch all these horror movies that come on netflix and right to be a young boy that with all the other stuff that happened and all the stories it was it was tragic and so there wasn't any way to really reflect that there was no way to really navigate that you know on a mental level on an emotional level and then I'm in here with people that are really 
mentally challenged. I'm just hurt. I'm just angry. Right. Versus, you know, the other residents that were really going through mental challenges. And so I ended up turning 17 in the mental institution. I was locked in the padded room. I was put in a straight jacket for acting out, you know, lost my temper. And eventually I was let out. And word on the street, you know, got out that I was put in the mental institution. So now all the neighborhood kids are picking at me and I was being teased and ridiculed. So the next wave of life was like, okay, again, me against the world. Right. I'm going to show people. And now me and my dad are starting to interact more. And I took this opportunity. That was my way of channeling all the hurt, all the pain. Um, but I also wanted to be my dad's son. I wanted to be the good kid. And I had older brothers that he had also introduced to this way of living. And I just wanted him to love me like any child wants to be with their parents. You know, um, just have the love, the time, the acknowledgement. And I remember that school year, I had a 3.8 GPA uh, report card. And I came home. I was excited to show him. And he tore it up. He told me, you know, well, Arjuna, this isn't the way I'm teaching you. Like, this isn't how we're going to do this. If you want a relationship with me, then I need you to follow in my footsteps and what I'm teaching you. And so, of course, I was very intelligent and smart. I wanted that. So I said, all right, by all means, tell me what do I have to do? And that's where the journey that you heard in the um, TED Talk about me being street entrepreneur is a term I like to use mm-hmm. um, just based on all the stereotypes and things that come with that. Right. And so through those years, you know, you see what I learned was just how everybody suffers. You know, how everybody's got a story. Everybody's going through some level of pain and hurt. And what it taught me, you know, from a mindset perspective is that when we don't have an outlet, whether it just be an emotionally abusive relationship just to talk about what happened to you or domestic violent relationship where you don't have to share or it doesn't even have to be that catastrophic or or intense. It just could be a a situation where you're just struggling with your own thoughts, your own emotions, and there's nowhere to really unpack the story and look at it from a different perspective. Over time, that could lead into an unhealthy human being, which Mm -hmm. When we ask these questions, when we see the things that we see in our society, right? It's like, well, why would that person, you know, do that? I can only imagine why would this person. And from being that guy, right. from living that, right. it gave me a different perspective on life. One of the major reasons, I mean, there's so many reasons why I wanted you on today to talk about your story. You know, there's so much to unpack and, and, and we could literally spend hours here. But, you know, that misconception of you know, what you see on TV and what you see, you know, about people on the streets and, you know, they're thugs, they're gangbangers, they're this, they're that. And you don't know everyone's individual story. Yeah. That human story. I mean, how could people ever listen to this story and be judgmental of what you did? You were alone, you were abandoned, you were, you know, taken advantage of as a child. The people that were supposed to protect you didn't protect you. You know, your mom did the best she could with what she had to save you, but you still felt betrayed. You, I mean, how could you not come out of the mental institution and be angry 
And then here, you know, going to a life on the streets was your way of just wanting your dad's love and approval. Yeah. And, and it was an outlet. But what's interesting to that, you know, Natalie, you bring up a good point was there's that perspective, right? There's, there's what's being portrayed as the, the, the street thug or the, the, the drug dealer, the hustler life, right? Well, right. in the men's school institution, I didn't see anybody that looked like me. There was one other ethnic, I think the guy was from the Middle East, but everybody else was white. And I got to see a whole nother world. And I was like, wow. And it, in that moment, because of just the narratives and the stereotypes growing up in the inner city, I developed this level of compassion for mm-hmm. people that didn't look like me, that didn't have the same color skin as me. And so now I'm like, oh, there's two sides to this. Mm-hmm. So anyone that's listening, you know, when we only see it from one perspective, I feel like it's fair. I get it. If you've only been shown one way, if you've only been told or taught one way that this is the way the world actually works, it's easy to buy into the narrative. Mm-hmm. But I had the exposure early on. Mm-hmm. And so moving forward, I'm doing my thing, trying to build this relationship with my dad. Uh, there was a high to being able to just express myself however I felt even though it caused harm, even though it broke homes and it hurt people, I was hurt. You know, so when we think about these actions that people take, there's something underneath that, you know, but we, as a society, we're, it's, it's more common to just see the external output of it. We don't go underneath right. what, really, what really transpired. Who was that young man or who was that young girl as a kid, what happened to this person growing up? Right. Because when you, if we're all honest, right, everybody that has actually gone through something traumatic in their life, when we actually pause and reflect, almost 99% of the time, the person is going to say, when I was a kid, this happened to me. Absolutely. But then for some reason, that doesn't get brought up in the fold when we see these catastrophic events that happen or these traumatic out burst from people so all that to say you know it really changed my way again of how i saw the world even though i was still doing things that weren't socially acceptable or Mm -hmm. you know uh, positive in in a sense um i still underneath it all i knew that there was something more i knew that there was something different because of what i was exposed to i've seen all this these these different variables of hurt and I just didn't know how to express it. I didn't know how to talk about it. I didn't know how to formulate it in a way where I could change and craft myself. And so, again, I just kept saying, hang in there. That was my voice. was always just saying, hang in there, right? Somehow this is going to make sense. But I knew, too, that I wasn't supposed to be doing the things that I was doing. Even though my dad was showing me these things, I always had mom in the back burner teaching me self-love, compassion, kindness, love, you know treat others the way you want to be treated. And so her and my dad were like night and day. So that was a huge conflict for me because I'm like, how do I access that? You know, how do I tap into that when I'm carrying so much already as just a young, as a young, now I'm a young man. So at 19, you know, April 2000, I was uh, shot point blank range in the femoral artery where uh, I bled out. And in that moment, one of the most profound 
experiences I've ever had in my whole life. And I can say that with 100% sincerity. It's one of the most beautiful moments in my life. And if you're listening, you're probably trying to imagine how you've been through so much, all of this, and you really tell me being shot was beautiful. I'll tell you why it was. Because in that moment, I had a conversation with God. And not only did I just have a conversation with God, I had my first real meditation experience. Hence the work that I do, mindfulness, meditation, yoga. I remember trying to, to uh, stop the bleeding. You know, I, again, going to school, being educated, being smart. I knew that the way I was bleeding at the time, that this was serious. And I knew that the only way to slow down the bleeding was I had to slow down the heart rate. And that's when I remembered, oh, wait, yeah, mom taught me about meditation. So I, I, I was trying to close my eyes. And some of the onlookers were freaking out because they thought I was dying in that moment. So, you know, they kept like shaking me and slap, you know, tapping my face, like hang in there. And I'm like, hey, 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 give me some space. Like, I'm trying to go into a meditation right now so I can slow my heart rate down. Right. Uh, and it was interesting. And then I loved war movies. Uh, I, one of my favorite movies was, uh, at the time was Saving Private Ryan. So I remember to put the pressure on the wound. So I, I remember putting my finger inside the hole once I found it. And I still couldn't stop the bleeding. It was just oozing out of me. And before, like, maybe in, like, less than a minute, I was in this pool of just my own blood. And the pain was out of this world. Oh, it was so uh, painful and so high. I wanted to give up. So I knew. But I, I knew. I was like, no, my mother has done so much for me. I was like, my mother has never wavered in her faith through all the stories that you've just heard me share, through all of her own personal experiences with my dad and the hurt. She never wavered in her faith and her belief of being loving, being kind, being compassionate. And that was like my, that was my, um, that was my motivation to fight. No, I can't, I can't, I can't die like this. I can't die in a drug house after knowing who my mother was, right? Mm -hmm. So that's so beautiful, Arjuna. It really is. It's so beautiful. Yeah, it, it was. It was a beautiful moment. It was beautiful to even have that reflection at a time of dying because, you know, the average person, no judgment, you know, is freaking out. I told myself I only had a few, I knew I only had a few moments, a few minutes to live. You know, I'm not knowing if I'm going to make it or not. In my mind, I'm dying, you know. Right, and so I didn't. I didn't want to spend those last few minutes, you know, in self pity. I didn't want to be a victim. I didn't. I didn't want to gloat in all the things that. Oh, I didn't do this. I. Could. I said no, 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 no. This, from watching movies and just from what my inner being, listening to my inner being and my, my higher self, my God self, was like, no. Remember your name. You're you're a spiritual warrior. Like, let's put it to practice. So, I went into that deeper state of meditation. And God revealed at the time it was the sound of a just this beautiful, soft voice. And I knew something different was happening because I went from this state of the most excruciating pain to I can't even really put it into words, but I felt this love that I always wanted to feel mm. as a kid. I felt this embrace that I always wanted to feel as a kid. And it was the most beautiful experience. And as I'm having this experience, God just reveals in a voice, like, hey, 
I know you see this person as someone that did you great bodily harm, that 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 hurt you, that harmed you. But I'm going to give you this ultimate gift, this experience, and if you choose it, your life will never be the same. Now here it is. I'm, but I'm like, I'm now I'm having this outer body experience where I'm looking at my body. I'm all twisted up on the floor. I'm looking at my surroundings. It's not a pretty sight. I said I'm in the drug house. And I'm like, what do you mean? So I'm like, this moment doesn't even match. Again, you know, it doesn't match. <laughs> the spiritual experience doesn't match right. my environment. But right. I'm like, okay, well, you don't have time to really get into that argument. So it's like, I remember saying to God, like, okay, well, what is it? And God said, well, if you can forgive this person, you can have compassion in this moment. I'm going to restore you pretty much just like, I'm going to give you the second chance, but you're going to use this experience, this story to go back into the world. Not only help people that look like you and come from your background and your upbringing, but you're going to be able to touch lives across the board, regardless of what they look like, what they believe, and whatever their struggle is. And I'm like, oh, come on, God. Like, again? Another one of those big assignments? I'm like, this is what they told me growing up. I'm like, uh, do you not see? And then I had to catch myself. I'm like, how are you going to sit there and question God? Like, and so I chose in that moment to forgive this person. And it wasn't just a forgiveness of just, hey, I forgive you. It was like the ultimate forgiveness. And I, it sat in the seat of my heart. This level of compassion sat in the seat of my heart. And I remember, though, there was a moment where I was like, all right, wait. I was like, hold on, God. Before I say yes to this second chance, I was like, you know, this experience right here, <laughs> this is beautiful. Like, if there's a way, <laughs> I remember asking, like, if there's a way that we can, like, work this out, like, you can help mom understand that I decided to hang out with you and go to the other side and she can be okay. I was like, I'll take that option. And it was like a little chuckle moment with God. I was like, uh, nice try, buddy. But, <laughs> You still got work to do. And so all of that happened and it was so beautiful. And, and, and then all of a sudden, God told me though, before I transitioned back into my physical body, God spoke to me and said, I need you to remember this moment. Like I need you to remember this conversation right here because this is going to be the piece that's going to make all of this relevant. This is what you're going to need. This is your, this is your landing mark, right? Don't forget this moment. And God said, because you're going to go through the normal human experience. Like, let me know. Like, you're going to do what's supposed to happen to you medically, right? You're going to have that experience. The doctors are going to tell you this. And they're going to share with what they know. But then there's going to be this whole piece underneath, this spiritual piece. And they're not going to understand that. So. When they give you these other options and tell you to do this, do that, I need you to remember this conviction. I need you to remember this moment and stand true to it. And so, and then not too long after that, I, I all of a sudden I just heard the uh, paramedics and hear the walkie-talkies and being <clears throat> physically being moved by one of the uh, paramedics. And I was so upset. You know, they rolled me over and started prodding and poking and touching. And I remember just coming out of it so upset, like, dude, you just ruined my conversation with God. I'm like, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> right. I didn't know the words. I, at that time, I remember swearing. Right. And um, 
the paramedics like, hey, hey, no, no, you're in shock right now. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm not in shock. Like, I understood what was going on. And but because of that excitement, the last little bit of blood that was in my body, I lost it because I, my heart rate went back up because I'm having this argument with the paramedic. <laughs> right. Waking me up from talking to God. So, right. So then what from, happened? Oh, so from there, I flatlined. So they, I, they lost me and my heart stopped. And they couldn't start it back up. They tried, they tried, they tried. And so by this time, there's a whole neighborhood outside because I knew everybody. I'm such a social creature. The whole neighborhood's outside. And then the, the news is outside, the local news. And so when they bring me out, and the only reason why I know this is because I got to see the, uh, the clip. I got to see the news clip, you know, the breaking news clip. Somebody saved it and I saw it. But they brought me out um, on the gurney covered up in the white sheet. And so I guess from what I was told through medical reports that they were able to revive me on the back of the ambulance on the way to the hospital, but then they lost me again and then they brought me back. And then I did have the experience that you see on the movies where I'm running down, we're running down the hallway. I'm on the gurney and I'll never forget this one moment though that was like the last piece that I needed to know that that reminded me like God is just, so good it was like he already knew that i would probably forget and so he just gave me an extra nudge to remind me so as just like you see in the movies as the doctors are running down the hallway we go through the double doors um the nurse leans there's one nurse that leans over and i remember her looking me in my eyes and i'm barely conscious my heart is still going like they're losing me they're bringing me back and she looks and she says to me she says hey I'll see you on the other side. And the way she said it, I just knew like, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm going to be like, yeah, I'm going to make it. So mm -hmm. that reminded me of what God told me, you know, and, and, and that experience. And so 14 hours later, um, a surgery and major blood transfusion, I wake up. I remember just coming through. And as soon as I open my eyes, I look to the left. There's my mom and my sister. And I'll never forget, my mom was sitting there praying. And <laughs> man, the look she had on her face, she was like that angry mother, like, wow. <laughs> and she, she eased up on the side of the bed and she said, you know, from a mother, and I get it, 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 it it's totally relative, it's natural. Um, but that mother's scorn of just, wow, like, you, you really know how to do a journey. Like, this one took, took the icing off the cake. And she leans in and she says, well, you know, uh, if you weren't already half dead, she said, I would kill you myself. The same laugh that you had, it made me laugh the same way. But, I mean, uh, you know, right. just the mother, <laughs> it's the mother in us, you know, you guys, you guys scare us so much. I knew that was, I knew that was land deep. I knew because your mother, so <laughs> there's like, you know, like, oh my God. So wow. <laughs> it made me laugh so hard that I, but I forgot that I was on all these, you know, machines because I'm clinging for life. And so the laughter, it, I started choking again and it made the, the machine go off. And then the doctors come rushing in. Um, and then she felt bad because she thought, you know, that she 
you know, caused me great harm from making a comment. And all that to say, you know, that experience, you, you know, Natalie, of course, I didn't really know what was next. Nobody really understood what was next. And nobody really knew how to navigate me through that. So then I had to rely on just knowing. I had to rely on what I experienced. I had to rely on the story that I had, that connection with God. And so to fast forward, you know, I was paralyzed for a year after that. Um, couldn't walk. And so I remember just laying in the floor, reflecting on all of, oh, me, why this, that that wouldn't have, you know, the shoulda, coulda, wouldas, and mm-hmm. the self-blame and the self-shame. And after a while, I was like, all right, something's got to give, you know, something's got to give. And I knew that my life from that point was never going to be the same. But also, again, here it is having this profound spiritual experience. It didn't match the environment. Mm -hmm. So now I'm like, how do I how do I take this understanding? Because I know if I went back to the streets and talked to the same hustlers and dudes, they're going to look at me like, like, bro, no. (laughs) So I use the circumstances to my advantage. You know, in the streets, you get shot. You can either come back as a tough guy or you become even more of a coward or tuck your tail. And so I used the tough guy image for a while to gain all the attention and focus on me. And once I had everybody's attention, that's when I hit them with the profound shift. And so that that's what led me into the work that I do. And there was a penalty for the lifestyle that I was living. So after learning how to walk, again, self-taught, just persevered through it, it was all mindset, you know, talking to myself. And so anyone that's listening, you know, there's so much power in the way you speak, you know, and I know it's easy to just have something happen in our life and we just speak out, oh, this, that, but just being able to catch yourself, just being so self-aware, which is the practice it took me. Thank God I had all the, the time, like being paralyzed for years. Then right after that, I ended up doing two years for the situation, um, being in the situation that I was in. Mm-hmm. I couldn't do anything but reset my whole program. I couldn't do anything but observe myself. And so I went through every story that I ever told myself, every experience. And I just gave it that same love, that same compassion, forgiveness that God gave me the opportunity to give the person that shot me. And I was like, wow. He did tell me that this would be like the gem. This level of forgiveness and compassion is, to this day, it's my secret. I don't want to call it a weapon. It's my secret jewel. It's, it's what. It's your superpower. Me. It's your superpower. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when I started to have that for myself, of course, it took time. You know, just it just was I, I had it. And then all of a sudden I was healed. No, it's been 20 years to date. And I'm still working on it and getting better and better. But it has been one of the most profound journeys, you know. And, of course, so being on this this podcast and being able to share this, this is like, I mean, this is what I live for, you know, to, to give people just access to the same level of profoundness and truth that I've been able to tap into without having to have a gunshot wound or some catastrophic injury. This level of frequency of vibration that I'm talking about is accessible to all of us at any moment. But it's a practice. It takes time. Because we've been programmed to our stories and our circumstances 
so long, you know, it, it doesn't just come overnight. And I think now with just the advancement of technology and swipe and you got food at your door or swipe and you, you have a date or swipe and there's like, we have become prone to just having things happen to or so conveniently and so fast that when you hear that you got to do some real work, it's like, I don't have time to the labor. It's like, can I just swipe and change my mindset? No, it doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, um, for me to have that level of understanding for myself, I challenged, I was challenged though, because not everybody, as, as I got well and started interacting, I started using these tools in jail first. I was sharing it with the men. And at the time I was in one of the most, this particular jail was one of the most dangerous in the city that I was in. Mm-hmm. And I was in the, I was with the population that was considered the most dangerous. And I just started sharing my experience and sharing my truth. And uh, it was so profound that the warden came up and the warden came up and he said, I don't know who you are. And we don't typically do things like this. He said, but whatever you're doing, it has changed the entire structure and the way the men are behaving. And we've never seen this before. He said, so if I give you one hour a week to talk to the men and share your story, would you consider doing it in like a bigger, broader fashion? He said, because I can't, you can't bring, because jail is different than prison. I didn't go to prison, just to clarify, went to jail. And so jail is more strict. You're locked down, you're in your cell predominantly almost 20 hours out of the day. So it's a lot more intense, especially on the mental. Sure. And so um, he said, but if, you, if, you, if you're open to it, I'll allow you to continue. And so that's where the journey actually started. It started inside. I said, I'm not going to wait till I get out. I said, I'm going to start now. And it was the most, again, when we think about people that are being incarcerated, you know, from the outside in, you know, you you may not have ever been in these walls or you don't know, again, you don't know these people's stories and what, what has happened that led them to that moment. But it's, you know, there's things that people do, but the beauty that I saw, the beauty that I saw in these men and the humans, and they were all races and colors, and sizes and shapes. When you can talk to somebody's heart, you know, I didn't talk to their minds. I talked to their hearts and the beauty that came from it, the access, when I was, all I was able to do is just point these men back to their hearts. And so the work that I do now for free among society is just, my gift is to point people back to the heart center because the heart knows, right? The mind is just a tool. For me, the mind is a tool to delegate and share what the heart knows. And so when I think of mindset, it's not from an intellectual or a mental standpoint. For me, it's marrying the mind to the heart so that the mind can follow and implement what the heart is trying to tell you all along. And we use this word so loosely, but it's like that gut instinct or that inner voice, right? And usually what happens is when you run into a situation, you'll hear someone say, oh, I knew it. I felt it, but I didn't act on it. Right. That's that God voice. That's the same voice that I got, that was spoken to me that gave me the opportunity to have this level of forgiveness and compassion. Arjuna, your story is amazing. And every time I hear it, it's just, it's so beautiful because of who you are as a person. 
And, you know, you making, I mean, you literally had this opportunity, you had this experience. What most people, most listeners, I'm assuming, would hear this experience and they'd say, oh my God, you had a horrific experience. And I love that every time you refer to it, you always say, I had this beautiful experience. You know, it's all about perception of the same exact situation. My question to you is, how do you see the world differently today after having that experience, that near-death experience? How has it changed things for you? You know, it allows, first of all, it keeps me in a state of just being grateful. Grateful that I was the chosen one, right, to carry this message. I'm honored, right? Because like you said, the way I keep using the word, it was beautiful because I know that the mind, the first thing we're going to do is think about it, right? And then once you get on that thinking wheel, that, that roller coaster, that it's like the hamster wheel of thinking, you forget to even go back to the heart. So now you're just thinking and you're like, oh, that happened, this happened, that happened. And I just like to remind people that when we can get past the mind, because in everybody's, in all of our circumstances, there's a silver lining, there's light, there's the positive side to any situation, even how horrific it may sound. And it's not easy to conceptualize that right away, especially depending on where you are emotionally, depending on where you are in your mental state, depending on just where you are in your circumstances in life. Sometimes it feels good to choose the victim route. It, sometimes it feels good to take the lower vibrational route. And I get it. I've done it, you know, in time. Mm-hmm. And so over time, my practice has allowed me to, to just become stronger at being able to jump back into the gratitude. And so when I see the world now, the way I see the world is just a place but there's so much beauty, there's so much vastness, right? There's so much opportunity. There's just limitlessness of goodness and greatness. But a lot of us just don't have the lens or the context of how to tap into that and where to tap into it from, you know, based on our upbringing, our circumstances, the way our parents raised us, their beliefs, and so forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the real beauty of your story and you sharing it the way you do is we all have stuff. We all have things that we've struggled with as kids. There's no worse story or better story. It's just they're all different stories and different things affect people different ways. And the real beauty and the power of your story is that people do have a choice. I mean, you, you've chosen a life of giving back and serving. I mean, here you are Talk about leadership. I mean, here you are in jail, completely changing the energetic dynamic and the mental philosophy and the hearts. I mean, you're speaking directly to the hearts and you are literally changing a community from the inside out. And then you continue that journey, you know, and, you know, I don't know how much people know about share necessities, but I know it was basically the main thing that you and I started coaching on. And here you are as, you know, share necessities. For those of the audience that don't know, you've basically built a beautiful community center in the heart of South Central where kids have a place to go after school and they're safe 
and they can do art and they can learn how to meditate and they can learn how to eat well and they plant gardens. And then, I mean, that's just one level. And I mean, you you keep it there and that's amazing. But you've also, because of your background, you know how to interact with the community. You've brought the community together and you have rival gang members or ex-gang members in there working together to help support the community. I mean, if that isn't you creating amazing compassion and connection and love, I mean, I don't know what is. I mean, it's so beautiful. You've taken you've taken this this again, what most people would say, you know, are tough times and this uh, horrific experience and you've taken it and you've turned it into so much beauty and so much love and compassion and kindness for so many people. Yeah. You know, and the mindset was, if I can give this gift to all these men behind this wall, and if they take it out into the world, just imagine the ripple effect, right? Right. And just to give the audience a little context about shared necessities, shared necessities is actually my own personal practice put on paper. It was, it was the food. It was everything that I used to heal my body. It was mm-hmm. the mindset, the types of, you know, I was born and raised a vegetarian. It was the type of food that I was eating, um, the practices, uh, just the opportunity to connect with myself. And I said, you know what? If this changed my life, why keep it a secret? There's so many people out in the world that, that could use these tools. So I was like, well, I have a master's degree in business. I was like, turn it into a nonprofit help people. And so we ended up, not only do we have the center in South Asia, but, you know, I've worked in the LAUSD school district, private school, San Diego. Um, I teach teachers, you know, I do workshops through the educational system. So being able to impact as many lives as I possibly can, I've worked with over 10,000 kids. Um, and one of the reasons I just want to touch this real quick now is why I'm so grateful for you, of all people. I've, sh- I've shared this story on so many different podcast platforms, but why I feel so honored and just related to share this story here is because most people have an audience and they're known for just doing interviews. But I feel like the truth that's coming through between our interviews because you know me, you brought me into your home. I've sat with your husband, I've sat with your family, I've met your mom. So like if anybody wants to question this, right? Oh, We've hung out. We've hung out with your family. You know, I have a, a rapport with your daughters. I have a rapport with your husband. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean you can see the work. So for me, it, 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 the com- if anybody needs that confirmation, do these practices really work? Yes. Because you see me. Right? You know, you get to see me. We work together. And so I just know that sometimes people need that little extra piece to, to really buy into the narrative, right? And so for me, that's why this is, a monumental historical moment. This is, yeah, this is like the icing on the cake with the balloons and the surprise. <laughs> <laughs> I know people can't see us right now, but I'm getting choked up just because you really are so amazing. And like I said, I've, uh, I have been blessed to have been paired with you through that, you know, social venture project partnership. And you have added so much to not only my life, but to my family's life. My family adores you. Uh, we've spent Thanksgiving together and 
Yeah. And, you know, it's just um, you are literally a beautiful, you're a beautiful human being. And we are all so blessed to to know you. And I'm so glad that you were able to come on and share your story and share yourself because I have to tell you, you sharing your truth is so powerful. And, you know, people are, you know, I don't know when people are going to be listening to this, but we're in the middle of COVID-19. People are going through tough times. People have lost their jobs. People are quarantined with um, sometimes abusive partners. Um, people are having struggles with their kids. And I want this episode and this story to hopefully bring hope and light and love and the power of choice and mindset to people to just know that you have a choice and you have how you choose to show up every single day to really make a difference in not only your life, but other people's lives. And if anyone exemplifies that, Arjuna, it's you. You are such a lighthouse for so many people. And we are all grateful that you did this today. So I appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. Oh, thank you. And I also think that it's a beautiful uh, coming up, you know, again, April 28th. Yeah. 2000 and we're coming up on that date again so it's a beautiful way to celebrate you know celebrate the journey the experience a few weeks before so and, and just to make it relevant into context you know um for those that are listening not knowing when you're going to listen but if you do happen to listen while you're in quarantine i am quarantining with my mom and my sister who did that journey with me and i've used this time to really relive all those moments and really talk to my mom on a deeper level about it and talk to my sister about it on a deeper, you know, on a deeper level. And it's just been one of the most profound experiences. And so it allows me to show up again here and share it in the way that I do. And if anyone has the opportunity to be with family during this time, I know it's easier said than done, but I've used each day to look at all the areas where we would say this person got on my nerves or this person didn't do this or look at all the stories that we feel victimized or not loved or not heard, but to really look at it and just go deeper and just ask, you know, what was it that I could have done? Different? What could I have said? You know, and now use the time to do that. It's so healing and it's so refreshing. And I think that work that we do in each home, if each home could do that type of work, Think about what that does, that ripple effect, right? So doing that work inside the jail, what it ripples out into the atmosphere, what it ripples out into the community, what it ripples out. Because they say it all starts first. They say it all starts with self. Yeah. And then they say it all starts within the home. I so agree. what better time than now? I agree, my friend. I agree. And I will leave how people can reach you in the notes. Definitely people should follow you on Instagram because... You give great, I mean, mind elevation every single day. And um, you're also doing mindful, sorry, say it again. You're, you're also doing a course. Mind elevation course. Yep. Four-week yep. course. Yep. And uh, it's a four-week course. And people can, where can people find information about your four-week course? Right now, uh, 
I'm building the actual landing page for it. So that way I can spread it. But if you just connect with me on Instagram at Arjuna underscore O'Neill from there, we can continue this dialogue. The information will be posted there as well as I told you, I started a blog where I just share my daily mindset of being in quarantine and all the new reflections that come up. Yeah. I, I follow you religiously because every day I get a little a dose of Arjuna goodness on your Instagram. So thank you for being here, Arjuna. Thank you for sharing yourself. Thank you for sharing your story. And thank you for inspiring many people throughout your life. So thank you. That's all I can say is thank you. Hey, you know, they say thank you is the best prayer, right? So thank you and thank anyone for listening. And just want to wish you well, blessings, love, and light on your journey and all your endeavors. All right. Thanks, Arjuna. We will talk soon. I'm so grateful that Arjuna shared his story with us today. I've known Arjuna for a while now, as you know, about a year. And every time I hear his story, I hear more each time in what he shares and how he shares it. And today, what really struck me is just how he kept referring to this scary, painful, horrific moment in his life as a beautiful experience. Every time he teaches me something new, and I always walk away leaving a better person, a more compassionate person, and a more loving person. And what you couldn't see today, because obviously we're in listening to a podcast, is you couldn't see that the entire time that Arjuna was sharing this story with me, because we were on a Zoom call, he had a huge smile on his face the entire show. It's just a testament to who Arjuna is. He really does embody strength, resilience, love, and the power of mindset. So with that being said, I know we talked about a lot today, and Arjuna's story may have brought up old, maybe, experiences you've had in your past. And I just want you to know that I have, in the show notes, I have placed the number to the National Sexual Assault Hotline in case you need it. It's 1-800-656-4673. And also the website link is there too. All of the services are free and they are confidential. So I highly encourage you to get support if you need it. So as we conclude today, I really hope that by Arjuna sharing his story with you, that you really do know that you have the power, you have the opportunity to completely change your life and the trajectory of your life with one simple choice. Arjuna did it, and so can you. So what choice are you going to make to maybe start doing something or even stop doing something to lead your life so you can love your life? I look forward to being with you next week. Bye for now. Thank you so much for being here today and listening to the Lead Your Life podcast. My invitation to you is that you do one thing today to move toward a more meaningful, fulfilling life for yourself. Today, you have the opportunity to challenge your mindset or have a meaningful conversation 
or take one action step towards your goals. So what are you waiting for? It would mean the world to me if you would subscribe and leave a review wherever you are listening to this podcast. I look forward to connecting with you next week. Until then, don't wait till tomorrow. Be your best self now. Thank you.